Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Day Insiders Podcast. I am Evan Grant, and I know that voice sounds much more comforting to you than the normal voice of Kevin Sherrington. We've sent him out on a road trip, uh, top secret mission. Uh, We're just not even going to let you know where he is, but unfortunately, he'll probably be back next week. In the meantime, I'm joined, as always, by David Moore. David, say hello. Oh, okay. Now you have to tell me to say hello. I have to get permission before I can... As I said before, in a conversational way, is that how we do this now? I am in charge today. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, one, thank you for for being back this week. I mean, uh, our listeners may not know that you were gravely ill with coronavirus last week, could not do the podcast, did not want anyone to know about your condition until your 57th tweet two hours later where you went, I'm really bored. I have COVID. Can somebody talk to me? via social media? I was lonely and looking for sympathy. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, but I, I will just say my COVID experience was this. I had some sniffles. Uh, just thought it was not quite allergies. Uh, we did a home test, came back positive, did a second home test just to make sure, came back positive. Then I went to go get the PCR test, which is the different and a little bit more accurate test at, at a CVS. That came back positive. I called my doctor the next morning. Um, and she was able to get me in for the antibody uh, treatment, the monoclonal antibody treatment, which I got that afternoon. Um, I never felt bad. I never ran a fever. I never lost sense of smell or taste. And within 36 hours of the injection to go along with my vaccines and, and my booster, I had zero symptoms. And by Friday, I was testing negative again. So, um, my experience is that I, I put full faith in everything that, that that I was told to do and 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 followed it, and I feel like I escaped without any issues, thankfully. So, um, enough about COVID and me. More importantly, we have a special guest this week who hopefully won't be so special in the few in the next coming weeks. She'll be more of a regular. But Callie Kaplan, our Mavs beat writer, is here. Callie, hello, welcome. Hello, Evan. Thank you. I'm glad to be special at least for a short time. Well, we, Everybody's special for a short time. Then you're just a regular and you have to endure all the abuse that we all take. So, um, And your lead in every week won't be Evan's medical update, although, although it's probably about 60% of the time we'll be doing that. But. It is, given my, given my history. Yeah, <laughs> really but Callie's gonna, Callie is going to up our game a little bit on Mavs, and we're going to get right into the Mavs this week. And, I, I, you know, I... I'm a little bit kind of up to my ears right now with Rangers, World Series, and, and trying to follow the Cowboys, but it hasn't gone unlost on me that, once again, Luka Doncic is off to a slow start. Is it, is this concerning long-term? Is it concerning for his career? What, what, what do you make of this? Um, I'm not exactly sure what to make of it, but I wouldn't say that it's concerning because last year he did the same, and he said in his words, uh, actually worse. Um, to start the season, I think in his first 10 games, he was shooting like maybe below or around 20% from three. And he still ended up being an all-star starter and first team all NBA. So he obviously showed that he can play his way out of it. And sometimes maybe you're going to hit that throughout the season. And maybe it's better to hit it in the beginning of the season than to hit it in April come playoff time. I think this year, I would attribute it to almost the opposite of what was hampering him last year. I think last year he showed up out of shape and he would probably have said as much 
and didn't really get his offseason training right. The NBA started pretty abruptly when they were trying to figure out the calendar with COVID. And he just he wasn't in shape and he had to kind of play his way into shape. I think this year his legs are a little bit tired right now because for more than two months he was playing almost winner go home games every single time he was on the court with Slovenia. And he was even more so than with the Mavs, the focal point and the guy that was carrying them throughout the Olympic qualifier and then throughout the Olympics up until the very last game in the bronze medal game. And so I think he just hasn't really gotten a full amount of time to kind of take it down and to kind of give his legs a rest. And he said that it's not an excuse, but that's what he's feeling right now. Um, and so I don't know exactly how you rest during an NBA season when <laughs> a lot of times you're playing three games in four nights, but I think maybe taking a little bit easier in practices and maybe if it's one, a blowout, like they've had twice so far, you can sit in for a good amount of time. Or if I think they would rather have blowout wins, then you can kind of do the same. So I think he's just kind of working his way through that fatigue right now. And um, I wouldn't say it's level concern yet. Yeah, it was interesting because these have been unusual ramp ups to NBA seasons. This isn't the norm. But because it's happened two straight seasons with him, now next season, everyone I think will be watching, uh, you know, to see what happens. And and I was just wondering, uh, often a a player who is as transcendental as Luca as early in his career, when people find something and go, well, you don't do this well, what about this? Uh, Should you have done this differently? They kind of bristle at that criticism because they don't get a lot of criticism because they're so good. How it, does Luca embrace this? Is he defensive about a, a second straight slow start to open a season, or how how does he handle the, the questions about it? Yeah, I think Luca's his toughest critic, um, which I guess at this point is is good to know that you know he he doesn't bristle at that, even though he maybe has been coddled and he has been the guy his whole life on the basketball court. Um, He's usually the first one to say, I played terrible. He's usually the first one to put it on him. Um, Even if he went out and had a triple double and they still lost, he'll take that blame whether or not he deserves it. And so I think when you ask him about it, he doesn't shy away from it. He says certain things aren't an excuse, but this is kind of where I'm at right now. And so I wouldn't worry about him ignoring it or him thinking that you know, he's, he's too good to be struggling or he's too good to listen to criticism and get better because I think he wants to get better. And maybe the Mavs will start winning a little bit easier if he does. And I guess you could, you know, early in the season, even if you needed to get him a little bit more rest, you could, you could do some load management early in the year too. Couldn't you? I mean, you could, you could say, Luca, we're just only going to play you 24 minutes tonight. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Jason said as much. Um, I don't think he would ever tell us his exact schedule for it, but they do have several back to backs coming up. Um, and, you know, kind of up until Christmas is when the schedule is super busy. And so I wouldn't, and they, they did rest Luca last year and the year before too, in certain instances where they would sometimes lose to the Thunder because, you know, Luca's legs needed a rest. And that was with the long term picture in mind. Um, so I do think that there could be some load management there. Um, maybe not as much as Chris Alves Porzingis, but um, you know, it's it's definitely an option that they're going to ca- try and put that those puzzle pieces together coming up. Hey, so well, since you mentioned Chris Alves Porzingis, <laughs> we couldn't. That was a professional <laughs> podcast segue there. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't skip over KP. He's too newsy. If if we were if we were keeping like around the horn scores, you'd get like like three or four <laughs> points right there. Um, <laughs> So speaking of, of of KP and speaking of things that seem to be a regular trend, uh, he's hurt again. And what's the big takeaway at this point in terms of, of, of where he stands and 
and what it makes the Mavs feel like and uh, about his durability? It's a very interesting question. I'm not exactly sure what things look like because for a month leading up to the season, all they talked about and all he talked about was how happy he was to have had a healthy off season, no surgeries. That was the first time he had not been doing a major rehab or recovering from surgery since I think 2017, 18 season, which was the year he was voted an all-star before his ACL injury happened. Um, and now it's interesting. He's missed as many games as he's played. It's this lower back tightness, which we haven't really gotten a gauge on. Jason Kidd's pretty tight-lipped about the details and the the timeline and the the potential, you know, increase for having made it worse. Um, when they said it first, it was just precautionary. Um, so we don't know. And we haven't talked to KP in over a week now since it happened. Um, and so I think it will be interesting uh, to see kind of if he comes back tonight against the Heat, if he plays tomorrow against the Spurs, they have a back-to-back, which has always been kind of like what's going to happen to KP territory. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I don't really have a firm answer for you. It's definitely not good. It's definitely not something maybe like Lucas struggles to be like, ah, it'll get better. It's fine. Um, but we'll see um, how long this extends and how that might affect his conditioning or how that might affect his is, you know, just kind of his base level of, of being ready to play games. And Kelly, how, how do you see the difference on, you know, if new coaching staff, new way of doing things, you want to establish what you do, it, how, how do you think Jason Kidd will handle the fact that if this was an established team and you knew that, that Porzingis is going to miss X amount of games, you're structured a little differently to handle it. But, I mean, he's trying to incorporate him in. He's trying to make him a bigger part of this team offensively and defensively for what it deteriorated over last season. Um, can you just talk about the different dynamics of that and how that really kind of puts this coaching staff in, in a difficult spot early in the season to, to do what they want to do? Yeah, absolutely. It's like a total evaluation period right now, because for as much as they kind of got their hands on the roster this summer, this is still very much like a Rick Carlisle, Donnie Nelson constructed team. And it really hasn't changed much over the last three years, probably to the to the ire of the fans. But um, I think you're missing a lot of chances to see him in different lineups, to see him with Luca, to see him without Luca. Um, and maybe that means if possibly like on a silver lining, you get to evaluate different combinations right now. But if you have your choice, you don't want to evaluate different combinations. You want to evaluate the combinations that work with your top two players um, so that you know heading into around Christmas time, which is kind of the benchmark that Jason's given for being able to know what this team's going to be all about and what they're going to have the potential to accomplish um, in the, I guess, 2022 back half of the season. Um, not having KP for even three games can kind of throw a wrench into those plans. And so I don't know. I think it will be interesting. Um, they're really not going to say much. That's for as different as it is um, right now than in the Rick Carlisle years, uh, the same thing applies to injuries. They're not going to say anything. And Jason's going to tell you that it's above his pay grade, um, that he's not a doctor. And we've gotten that answer probably a little bit more than he's probably wanted to give it in the first six games. So um, we'll have to see, but it'll be interesting to see this week, whether KP comes back and, and just how long this lingers on. Well, that Christmas, you know, informal deadline you're talking about is it's so key too because the the west as deep as it is if dallas falls too far behind then that really impacts how they put the team because it's a big part of why they've gone out early in recent years is the seating they need to move up into into the top four 
and you know that's kind of their next step to to improving in the postseason it seems and if you fall too far behind here if you can't establish your identity early uh, then you play catch up all year and you look up and you're the sixth seed and you're setting yourself up for the same fail you've had before so how adamant has Jason been about we need this together to come together pretty quickly to, to do what we need to do this season? Um, probably not as adamant as you would think, at least publicly to reporters. Um, I think he's all about, you know, patience and we're going to have fun and we're going to feel it through. And right now their offense has just been really bad. <laughs> um, you know, they're fourth to last in the league in offensive rating. And that's above like the Rockets, the Thunder and the Pistons, which are not really teams you want to be grouped with in any sense of <laughs> being good at basketball this season. Um, and so he's been, you know, patient, let's work on our defense. Let's let the shots fall. But I think at the same time, there's going to be that onus to make sure that you're capitalizing um, when other teams in the West that you might've thought would have been ahead of you, or you might've thought would have been really competitive or not, playing up to their standards. And yes, it's only six games in. We have 76 more to go. I don't even know if I did the math there, right? But <laughs> plenty more to go. It's not time to draw conclusions about who's going to get home court advantage or anything. But the Lakers haven't started out with that burst that everybody kind of expected from them this year. And the Clippers are definitely sliding without Kawhi. And so you want to make sure that you're capitalizing in these stretches um, when other teams are not. So it's interesting. I mean, they are four and two, so it's not like the sky is falling. But I do think that there's that onus that Hey, we need to get everybody healthy. We want to make sure that we get Luca back on track, which I don't think that they're worried about happening eventually. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that we're staying consistent. We're staying, um, you know, on that right upward trajectory so that they don't end up fifth, sixth, seventh, or even lower um, in the play up in the play in um, and, and kind of fall short of those expectations this year. So less than a month in, Callie, what's the difference in the Jason Kidd versus Rick Carlisle tenures at this point? At this point, I would say um, Jason's a little bit more open. I know this whole discussion has made it sound like he's like closed off and treats injuries like they're like the nuclear codes. But um, I would say that he's a little bit more open. We do get to see more of practice, which was nice, especially in training camp to kind of get to see who, um, you know, the second unit was, see what those rotations looked like when they were scrimmaging at the end. And so we have gotten to see a little bit more and he is a little bit more um open, I would say, with starting lineups and who he's going to work with um, on the court. But I don't know. I think it's a little bit too early to say how different it will be on the court. I think the early returns are that offense is not going to be quite as potent as it was when they were breaking efficiency records under Rick. But defense is definitely going to be uh, more of an emphasis. And it was an emphasis last year, but I think the scheme was a little bit more confusing to players. And they've said that it's a lot easier to grasp this year. It's a lot easier to communicate and to understand what their roles are. And so I think naturally we might see an improvement there, even though it is kind of the same players that are, that are going to be on the court and in those rotations. David, in any of your many tenures here, when you covered basketball at any point in time, was, was Jason a Maverick? I, 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 I can't remember when and who was here at the, at the, those points. Uh, yeah, Jason and I go back away. <laughs> Just the fact that I had been on the beat for several years by the time he was a rookie uh, probably speaks more to my age than his, but yeah, uh, he, he's, uh, you know, it, and, and I, I, I do think, I think he's been better in his previous coaching stops and has sometimes been portrayed when you look at where those teams were and what they became under him. 
and and look, so, so often coaching changes are about a transition from one style and you just need a different voice and a different approach. It's not that it's revolutionary. You just need a different approach. And, and uh, Cal, I found it interesting. You said, uh, have the players talked anything specifically about how this makes more sense defensively or, or how it's easier to communicate? Um, because again, J- Jason was always about defense and was always very good with communication on the floor. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things they've done is in past years, you've seen in their practice court, they have what they would call a four-point line, and that's still there. And that was kind of Rick's emphasis on shooting distance and getting that spacing and, and having you know five boxes around the court to, to show players where they're supposed to be. And now Jason has what they call like the defense line. And so it's like inside the arc, I would say about like 12 feet back from the basket, and it's so that when they're defending pick and rolls, they can kind of have a visual for where they should be helping, where they should be dropping off and kind of where that that song and dance happens. Um, and so I think things like that, that he's really taking the time to break it down and he's making the terminology easy and he's talking to players about what do you like? What don't you like? Where do you want to be? Where do you feel most comfortable? Who do you want to guard kind of thing? Um, I think there's more of a back and forth and that just goes with emphasizing defense more if you're going to talk about it more it's probably going to play out a little bit better um, than it has in years past. And so um, I think just little things like that they've mentioned have been helpful in kind of creating that emphasis early on. Kelly, last question for you. Um, How difficult was this? Your first, your first podcast with us. I got to tell you before you answer that for us, like, not having Kevin butt in and tell us what he's written before. I yeah, I prefer I, this rotation versus Kevin. And 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 likely since Kevin wasn't here, you get the well, Callie, you know, I wrote two days ago about and then he like reads his column basically on the podcast, which is not which I, I don't know how much the, the listener really gravitates toward having Kevin's columns read to them, but this is our small quick lineup. <laughs> so so what you're saying is that I should like have printouts of my article and read them back to you next time that's what you no. like. No 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 we're saying do not do that. No. Okay, I'll make sure I print everything out and then I have it ready to go and then I read Perfect. it word for word next time. Did, was was it was this awful? Oh, absolutely awful. I don't enjoy talking to you guys at all. <laughs> All right, Callie, thanks so much. We we will not subject you to the last half of this this podcast this week. Um, but hopefully we'll see you back again next week to talk more Mavs, okay? Yeah, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much, Callie. Well, David, I got to tell you, that was um, uh, that was an MVP performance by Callie. So, uh, Refreshing. So welcome to what we normally deal with, with the third wheel on this podcast. All the dominionization of, of things that we do. <laughs> Anyway, we can get into the Cowboys now, and we won't have to worry about Kevin tell us who 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 the Cowboys should have traded for. So, um, listen, the one thing that I took away from this from this week, aside from the the fact that it was certainly a big and maybe unexpected plus to win with Cooper Rush behind uh, center, was I just think that we've had complete and total separation in the NFC. I feel like. We're halfway through the season, and basically the NFC playoff um, field is set. Maybe not seeded, but that's going to be the focus of the second half of the season, is it not? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, you. You really have no middle class in the NFC right now. Uh, you have the 
the one percent, the top one percent, and then you have, uh, you know, the, the the below the poverty line, and and everyone else is jockeying, and 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 even the teams you have in there now, like. Uh, New Orleans is right in the middle now with that that four and two, but they lose their starting quarterback. So where are they going to wind up? You would imagine they would uh, drift back to five hundred or below rather than stay above. So they lost their yeah. starting quarterback and still beat Tampa Bay, though. They, they did in, in that one game, but how does that yeah. wear over time? And sure. and, and as uh, as otherworldly as Cooper Rush was for a, given the fact that he had only thrown three passes in his NFL career. Uh, the fact he had not played in a game of any meaning in more than five years since he was at Central Michigan. Uh, to do what he did on the road, yeah, that's wonderful, but how many more time? how sustainable is that performance? And, and that's what, that that's the difference in a backup and a starter, right? And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more later because you already hear howls of, we'll start Cooper Rush this week, give Dak another week. And, and you know, I, I'd like to get to that later in, in this segment. But yeah, just for where they are now, um, it, as absurd as it sounds in week nine, look, the, the Cowboys are winning the NFC East. That's a foregone conclusion. Um you know they could they could lose their next two games and still get to Thanksgiving and have a game and a half lead in the division, which is absurd. Uh, no one in that division has a chance to win it, so that gives Dallas the the playoff berth right there. So now suddenly, uh, you are talking about seeding and how they match up with Tampa Bay, which they had a narrow loss to on the road, with Green Bay, uh, with the L.A. Rams, um, you know, with Arizona, who they will play here on January second, which will have you would anticipate a significant impact on the seating, playoff seedings, because that's the next I, I, last both, week. On both fronts, right? For because both, as we for sure. Here right, as we sit here right now, the Cowboys are the number three seed um, behind Green Bay and Arizona. And that's um, because they played one less game. Played one less game. Because they've had the bye week, and these other two teams have the bye coming up. Yeah, Correct. Um, but it stands to, it stands to reason – that Tampa Bay could could pass the Cowboys, and they do own the tiebreaker against them. Sure. So the Cowboys are looking at either finishing potentially third or fourth in that situation, um, which then means you play the top wild card, and that's either going to be Arizona or the Rams in all likelihood. Yeah. Somebody's One of those teams. Gonna, yeah, that's going somebody's going to lose that division with twelve or thirteen w- wins. So I, I, I think that. Playing for playoff playoff seeding the second half of the season is really is really significant for this team, and I think that's where we get into the you know do you play with house money and give Cooper Rush another week so that you can get Dak back to full health for the last seven games of the season, or if do you play do you say Dak is good enough and we got to go out and win this week for sure? Yeah, and that's the argument you have, and and so look. Let's take that argument and move it back to Sunday night on the Minnesota game. That's why that game was so significant, because it was a conference victory. Um, and after after head-to-head, you get into conference records. And so Dallas only has one conference loss now, and that's to Tampa Bay. Um, Denver is an out-of-conference. If you're going to lose a game, the best games to lose are out-of-conference games. Uh, so Denver coming up, uh, Las Vegas on Thanksgiving day, you know, those are gay or Kansas city, even on the road in Kansas city in a couple of weeks. Um, 
those games are less punitive when you're looking at the seeding. And, you know, Arizona and LA are in a difficult position in that they're the same division. And so they have to play each other twice. Uh, and Seattle, when Russell Wilson gets back, is going to be a, a better team too. And San Francisco is still dangerous with that defense. So they play in such a tough division. There's a good chance that they're going to have more conference losses uh, than Dallas will because Dallas shouldn't have trouble with the NFC East. And now they've already beaten Minnesota. Uh, so I, I think Dallas is positioned well, and and Green Bay too. In, in that, I, I don't know that anyone in that co- you know uh, division is going to be able to challenge them. So, in my mind, Dallas and Green Bay have a little bit of an edge when you're looking at the seeding at this moment going forward, as far as what they can do. And again, Green Bay's victory in Arizona last week was huge, especially without their starting receivers, uh, knocking Arizona out of the unbeaten ranks. Uh, now they own the head-to-head with the team they're clearly, de- you know, will be competing with for that number one seed. Um, that, that was a big early season win for them. But yeah, but because of this separation, because of this unusual separation in the NFC, uh, these, these four or five teams already have to turn their attention to uh, tiebreakers for for the seeding process and I, I will say though when you get too far ahead of yourselves in the NFL uh, the the landscape and complexion can change completely two to three weeks down the road um, like we just mentioned I, I think New Orleans is an example uh, you know New Orleans coming out of that game having beaten Tampa Bay if they still had Jameis Winston and knew he was coming back now suddenly they're on the periphery and they can, you know, they're right there with Tampa Bay and, and they're now you, you look at them differently. So all of these teams are just one key injury or a two game losing streak away from putting themselves in a position where it's going to be difficult to catch up. That's the other thing. You don't want to peak too early in a season. You don't want to have like, you know, win 10 or 11 straight games like Dallas did back in 2016. And then you're, your performance start to deteriorate the closer you get to the postseason. Uh, but a lot of times, now that you have this race, the focus is, uh, boy, we have to stay engaged right now. We can't afford a loss to, um, you know, this team right here. So let's go ahead and push it this week. All of that being said, to get back to your initial question, if Dak Prescott is healthy, he plays this week against Denver. And I've already, I know people say, well, look, you beat you beat Minnesota in Minnesota without uh, Dak Prescott. Cooper Rush played well enough. Give him another game. No, that's not how it works. If <laughs> Dak Prescott is the unquestioned starter and leader of this team, if he's ready to play, he plays. There are only seventeen of these, and you have to keep your your foot on the pedal and you have to keep that edge. Uh, I think they got more. There are more positive things to come out of that game they won with Cooper Rush than if they would have won it with Dak Prescott. But that's not a reason to put Cooper Rush back in the same uh, position again where he will be exposed over time. And I, I think to sum this up, I mean, to me it comes down to this. You want to be cautious with Dak and this calf injury because they, they can be tricky. But you don't want to be overprotective. Um, he is your unquestioned leader. He is the starter. As far as I'm concerned, he's playing as well as any quarterback in the National Football League at this point in time. And if he 
pronounces himself ready to go and your 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 doctors agree he he goes out there anything else yeah. to me is 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 getting too cute and and quite frankly a little bit disrespectful to to Dak's place on this team and, um, and completely unrealistic at this stage of the season to start you know I, you understood it last week, but like you said, all those factors in place. Now you're going to get cute and go, oh, okay, well, we can beat Denver at home. They've, they've raised the white flag. And and look, as soon as you lose that momentum or that special feeling, uh, there's no guarantee you're going to get it back. In fact, most times history has shown you will not get it back. So you don't want to tamper with this and start going, oh, no, we got to protect him for these games that we have three weeks from now. No, if he's ready to play, he plays and you don't look back. David, I just want to wrap the Cowboys segment up real quickly on this. I, I, I've been really impressed with what the offense has done. I've been impressed with the defense's ability to take the ball away, and I, I think I've made my point that takeaways on defense are, are so significant. But one thing that stands out for me that, that really concerns me about the Cowboys going forward is this is one of the most penalized teams in the NFL. Um, third most penalties on offense, fourth most on defense, how much of it is this an issue for Mike McCarthy right now, and 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 how does that impact um, their ability to, to to maximize what this team can do? Yeah, coming out of the uh, that that Minnesota game, we talked to him on uh, Monday afternoon, his his usual uh, day after press conference. Uh, this topic came up because, uh, especially, you look at that overtime win in New England and and this win against Minnesota, so many penalties. Uh, you know, in fact, their penalties, it, Minnesota was one of 13 on third down conversions, but Dallas gave them seven first downs with penalties, you know, in that game. Uh, and, and it is too much. And, and what they're, they're trying to reconcile now is you hear Mike McCarthy and the staff talk constantly about play style. What the, this is, you know, this aggressive in your face uh, uh, approach to the game. It's the same thing every coach wants. They just all have a different name for it. But but you want to play with this edge, this aggressiveness. But in doing that, you can't step over the line too much where you lose your discipline. And they're still trying to find that line right now. And these last two games, they've been able to survive and win in large part because of their attitude. But they have a lot of self-inflicted wounds in these last two games where it shouldn't have been that hard if they were just a little bit more disciplined. Uh, no, but that, I think that's a great explainer that, you know, you, you always want them to play with controlled rage, but you, you, you do want it to, to be disciplined. So, yeah. And, and very quickly, that last drive, you know, the, the Minnesota's last drive in that game, uh, Terrell Basham got a 15 yard unsportsmanlike penalty. Randy Gregory came back and got two uh, you know, taunting or non-sportsmanlike penalties. They get down inside the four-yard line. Then what happens? Three uh, plays for losses, and they hold them to a field goal. So that attitude served them well at the end, but Minnesota never should have been in that position. So uh, that that's what they're working on now. We, you know, the controlled aggression. We have you playing the way we want. Now just play a little smarter. And that's – I as I always bring everything back to me um, on the colleges, I, yeah, I watched Georgia, Florida this weekend. And that's the thing about this Georgia defense and the national championship that, that so impresses me is they do seem to have that fine line between being exceptionally aggressive um, and maximizing the ability to rush the quarterback and staying controlled, not to get out of their coverage, um, 
happened on a on a Florida gadget play. Uh, you know, they, they are they are not terribly penalized. And, and if you do that, whether it's colleges or the NFL, you're going to have a chance to maximize your abilities. But speaking of colleges, I, I, I want to just really quickly hit the coaching carousel that that's that's going to go around um, in these in these parts. You know, on Sunday, I was quite frankly, I was shocked that Gary Patterson and TCU decided to part ways in the middle of the season. I'm not disputing that maybe it was time for Gary Patterson's era to, to end at TCU. It seemed to be a decline there. But this is the guy that's taken this, this program uh, over the last 22 years to heights that it had no, no real chance of, of getting at um, in anybody's realistic expectations. Not in this day and time, yeah. Did he deserve better than that on how he went out? Well, I – this whole this is going to happen at the end of the season and, and coach it out. I don't really quite get either. I mean, it's not because it's not a true celebratory, you know. Thanks, thanks for the memories. Thanks for the time. Thanks for all you did. Um, it, it's it's just a kind of a passive aggressive. Oh, let's just get through this. And 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 I'm really surprised that that he went along with that as well. I just don't know how healthy it is for the coach or the program. Uh, to, to finish out a season that way. Um, but no, I, I think what Gary Patterson ha- has done in TCU and the and the presence they have been for the size of that university and and where you where you would assume they should be pigeonholed in the rankings, he, he's taken them so far far up the ladder beyond where they have a right to be when you look at other private schools and in, in similar situations around the country of that size. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's going to end, right? I mean, how, how many of these ever go from once you establish, you take the program to those heights and then you can, you know, you can go out on your own terms. Um, you know, it, it it wasn't pretty in Penn state. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that it happens anywhere just over time. It makes sense to move on, but, but yeah, the, 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 the separation here could have been a little cleaner, and I think everyone would have felt better about it than how it has unfolded. I, I, I think the unfortunate part of this is, yes, this is what Gary Patterson did for 22 years for this university, but if you're TCU, you see that Texas Tech has just fired its coach um, and that for all intents and purposes, you know, right down the road, Sonny Dykes is a, is, is a very attractive candidate to a lot of schools, particularly in Texas. You don't want you don't want it out there that you're behind TC, you don't want to fall Texas behind, yeah. in that pursuit. So that's the cold, hard, um, unfiltered business element of this. Yeah, if um, Tech hadn't done that, I don't see TCU doing this. Right, I I, I, I agree. So. In your mind, you know, TCU and Texas Tech are both power five schools. If you're Sonny Dykes and you're at SMU, is one of those two programs any more attractive to you than your current situation? Well, you would have a better feel for this than I would, and I'll be interested to hear what you say. I would, you know, unless it's the the specter of going back where your father was and how much he meant to that. Uh, uh, but if you if you take that out of it, I don't think there's an equivalency here. I, I think it's TCU. I, I think where you're going from for what they have established, for what Gary Patterson established them 
over these last 22 years. Uh, it's, a, it's a very comparable situation to SMU, but farther ahead of where SMU is, uh, I think, in, in the ability to recruit and uh, actually resonating with some players that you'll be able to get coming out of high school more than SMU. Uh, that would make more sense of the two. But then the question is, do either of them make enough sense more than just staying at SMU? And and why can't SMU be what TCU had been over the previous 22 years? And does that appeal to Dykes more than jumping to TCU and, and drafting off of what Patterson did earlier? And I, I think that for me, the, the ultimate judge is I'd be real weary of taking um, any Big 12 coaching job at this point in time, because I think the Big 12 is in a really transient state. Um, and, and I don't know what's going to be the long-term, uh, the long-term future of, of, of the conference. Uh, and Texas Tech and TCU are two schools that, you know, one doesn't have a whole lot of streaming um, in, in Texas Tech, and TCU is a smaller school. So the, it's not smaller than SMU, but it's a small school. So yeah. there's, there's concerns there on, on both parts. Um, I, I think if I'm Sonny Dykes, and the Virginia Tech job comes open, that's in the ACC. And, you know, you talk about legacies. Frank Beamer's son, Shane Beamer, is the head coach at South Carolina right now. Would he be a candidate at Virginia Tech? I, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, I think that if I'm if I'm Sonny Dykes and I'm looking to go to a Power 5 conference, it's not going to be the Big 12. All right, that'll that that'll pretty much wrap everything up for us this week. Um, I'm going to leave it with, with a quick little roundup on the World Series. We go into game six tonight, Atlanta at Houston. Uh, I think it's been a great World Series so far. I know that a lot of my compatriots and a lot of base, traditional baseball fans are, are carping about the fact that we've seen so many bullpen games and that starters have not gone deep into games at all. And that's in some parts, this is the way that the game has gone. But I also think this year is an anomaly. Uh, we talked very at the very start of the show about preparation for the basketball season. Well, last year with the COVID shortened baseball season, nobody pitched more than 80 innings. Um, you had guys that you had to rest a lot more this year. And I think there was a, there was a bigger rash of injuries. And because of it, you've, you've had your pitching pool really decimated. So I'm not so concerned that this world series is going to be the, um, the template for the, for every world series to come. I I think I'm just trying to appreciate the fact that uh, both teams have been exceptionally resilient. Um, The Braves did a great job at the midpoint of the year in rebuilding a team that had lost two outstanding players in Ronald Acuna Jr. And Marcelo Zuna, the Astros have, have taken on the villain role and said, you want to boo us, boo us all you want. We're going to come out and prove to you that we're a great team. And, and so that's the part of this, this that I'm I'm appreciating from from my standpoint. I, I think it's I think it's been a great series, and, and, and for people to to try and diminish it, I, I think just takes away from the fact that listen, baseball's always got something to offer you. It's just how you want to view it, and right now view it for for two teams that are just really clawing and scratching and fighting, much like us on this podcast. Yes, I'm, I'm calling and scratching and fighting for every second I can get. But that's going to do it. It was great to talk to Callie today about the Mavericks. Yeah, I, I would say having Callie was delightful. And, and I've never said having Kevin on this podcast is delightful. No, that's a good word. There's, 
there's a lot of DE words that I would use to start with having Kevin on, but not delightful. Um, I thought your uh, your Cowboys summation was excellent. Um, we offered some pontification on the colleges and we can pontificate. Yeah, I can pontificate. Um, but thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with hopefully four different voices. See ya. <laughs>